Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by my fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Before we begin, if you enjoy our show and want to help us keep it going, you can support us in two ways. The first is to listen to Cinema of Meaning on Nebula, which lets you enjoy each episode completely ad-free and a week early. The second way is to join our Discord community on Patreon, where you can discuss movies with us and with fellow listeners. Both Nebula and Patreon will also give you instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes, which by now has grown into a significant catalogue. For more information, check out the description where you can find everything else that you need. Thank you for listening to Cinema of Meaning. Now on to the show. Thomas, uh, this is actually the first time that we're discussing a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, right? Correct, yes. I feel like we've been trying to do one for (laughs) like a year and (laughs) they always ended up being like a perpetual second choice. um, Always just falling... um, no shade to 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 uh, Paul, by the way. Uh, they I think like a lot mm-hmm. of them, a lot of his movies are just feel very monumental, and they're kind of a task to take on. And so we kept looking at like we should talk about the master, we should talk about maybe Phantom Thread or There Will Be Blood. And every time I think about it, I'm like, man, th- those are going to be uh, interesting movies to try to discuss, to to just grapple with. Um, mm-hmm. So, but. We finally stopped putting it off. Now we're 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 taking one of the biggest ones kind of by the horns here. So I'm yeah. very excited about this discussion. I, I think, think also his it might be his most mainstream one in some yeah, ways. Definitely definitely the one I think has garnered the most sort of universal critical acclaim uh or yeah. the most recognition. It might be the only one that's won o- Oscars. Hmm. Uh is that correct? I don't know yeah. about that, but uh, it won two Oscars, so it's got that going for it. Um, <laughs> but I also, I I don't know if this is my favorite. I think Phantom Thread for me is vying for the top spot uh, mm. alongside this one. But this one is definitely up there and is like a classic of, it, it's one of those movies that to me feels like a 21st, already a 21st century classic. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to dive into it. But what what are yeah, which is kind of funny because uh, watching it now, I hadn't seen it since it came out. Um, I think I'm. I think you love Paul Thomas Anderson's movies a bit more than I do. Um, I did a I did a big uh, breakdown of kind of the evolution of his filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was like last year or something. You can find it on my mm-hmm. channel, but. When I did that, I he's one of those directors who early on in sort of my interest in film, I set out to like watch everything he had made. Uh, mm. And so he was one of the first directors who I kind of checked off. the. I watched his entire filmography sort of very intentionally. Um, and yeah. then when I made that uh, video, I rewatched it all again. So he's one of those directors I have, I, you know... It, I think he's one of the bold, one of a very bold and very interesting contemporary director who has a super strong and unique voice. I think I have 
mixed feelings about a lot of his movies and I don't exactly know how to uh like a lot of them I don't feel like I completely understand but mm-hmm. I find them very interesting and compelling anyway there's a you know there's there's a lot there um sort of on an intuitive level like the way he writes is very interesting to me um mm-hmm. you know a lot of the character a lot of it is about weird characters just doing stuff that you kind of have to read into to try to understand rather feels than very just, literary in yes, the way he makes yeah. movies yeah um so i guess that would be like my summary of like kind of how i feel about paul thomas anderson i think he's one yeah. of the most interesting but also you know uh there there's movies like I, what the first time i watched magnolia i was like this is an incredible masterpiece and then that that's Same. a movie that has kind of almost like come down i mean it's still i think incredible what he was doing especially at that age but it's a movie that as i've rewatched it i think i have appreciated less which is odd mm. um but then the reverse has been true with some of his other films where I think the movie of his that I've watched the most is Phantom Thread. And every time I have watched that one, I felt like I got more out of it. This one is also kind of like that. This was my third viewing. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of weird uh, new sort of very almost like this is not a subtle movie, but a lot of what is interesting about this movie is in the, the subtle bits. Um mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm monologuing here. I should let you uh, <laughs> maybe lay some groundwork. Yeah, no, I I share your fascination and interest in Paul Thomas Anderson's work, but um, I feel like I just haven't given him that kind of attention to really love it. And that's maybe like, that's on me. That's not on uh, a, a critique <laughs> on his films. Because uh, now that I think of it, I've seen most of his films, I think, only once, um, with maybe Magnolia being the exception, which I had the same as you, where that's one that I instantly fell in love with. But um, I haven't revisited that one in a couple of years, so I'm not sure yeah. how I would uh, feel about it if I were to watch it again today. But... Um, yeah, so There Will Be Blood, uh, Phantom Threat, The Master, all of those movies, they caught my interest and I told myself, oh, I have to watch these again in order to fully appreciate them. And for some reason, I just never <laughs> really gotten around to it <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, until today. So uh, for me, like I said, as I said, I rewatched it. I think it was, this, I'm pretty sure it was the second time I've seen it since seeing it the first time uh, around the time it came out, I think, or maybe a little bit later but yeah the the thing that struck me the most uh just from the opening um by the way i completely forgot how it opened with this very long stretch of just silence which yeah i thought was really interesting um you get there's like a short film like a 15 minute prologue that has yeah no dialogue whatsoever Mm mm-hmm Um, but for me, the thing that struck me was just the look of it and the way it felt like a movie that was shot in maybe the sixties or something. And I mean that in a good way, you know, it feels very timeless in a way and, uh, you know, timeless in the sense that it could have been made in the sixties. It could have been made in the 
80s, 90s, or in the 2000s as it was. Um, but it has that very classical look where you... Um, the image is kind of tainted or like... It, it's not clean, it's not perfect, it's like damaged and... Um, just imperfect in interesting ways and it also has that kind of film look where um, the bright areas tend to be a little bit overlit and the dark shadows tend to be really dark uh, which really especially today stands in such a stark contrast with the more digital look where even if they make or try to make it look less digital you can still see that there's a high dynamic range there in the raw data yeah. and yeah i feel like this movie feels so analog compared to that and um also less color graded i'm pretty sure there's a lot of touch up that was done but it has that uh, that's something that i really miss about or really miss in new movies that i really enjoy in like movies from the the, the 60s era is that it it just feels like they just put a camera somewhere and filmed it and didn't color grade everything into like some surreal-ish uh, vibe <laughs> yeah. in in post-production. You know, a, a lot of movies, especially if you see modern movies that are shot on real locations that you know, you can still feel it's a little bit off. It still feels a little bit... Um, yeah, it, it just feels a little bit over-processed or over-stylized, even yeah. in the, the basic way the I images are color graded nowadays. But um, anyways, that's a bit of a tangent from right. uh, <laughs> I will say presentation yeah just just on that point like I feel like in the filmmaking discussion it, it, there it was a big thing like seven five seven years ago to this debate over film versus digital oh yeah everybody was talking about it and uh in my mind you, you know I feel thankfully I think we've moved on from that conversation it's just like Digital is great and better for mm -hmm. some circumstances. Some people have the privilege and the money to shoot on film, and it can still make really beautiful results. It's just different tools, whatever, mm -hmm. you know. But in terms of people who are still shooting on film and maximizing the potential of the way film looks, Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, is is kind of, yeah. you know, absolutely kind of lead, one, of, one of the best people still still using film yeah. in a way that's super uh that maximizes the strengths of he, film itself yeah he really relishes in the character that it creates whereas yes. like nolan for example he's also a very fervent lover of film but he seems to use it more to just maximize resolution and image quality whereas i think paul thomas anderson is more about creating a certain atmosphere or using film to create a certain atmosphere yeah um that being said i do think that it's perfectly possible to create that look with digital film i think uh, uh i think it was ryan johnson who played around with that for uh, knives out for example where he really pursued a more filmic look which he i think he um pretty successfully achieved so I'm sure like by now in, in the whole film versus digital debate, I feel like we we can kind of move on from it because whatever film can do, digital can do now mostly, uh, especially when it comes to creating the look of it. Um, I'm sure there's like 
super experts on this that will <laughs> fight me right. on that. But yeah. you know, for to a general audience uh, who who isn't really down into the nitty gritty of the the technical side, I think it's um, you you can kind of make digital look uh, any way that you want, including yeah. like film. Um, but yeah, that being said, it's it, it it's fun to see someone still embrace that look of it with all the um imperfections and the quirks that it comes with and uh yeah that, that's something that i just really enjoyed going into it and that especially combined with that silent prologue where we just get to see this story um unfold without dialogue or without too much like um i don't know um like too much energy maybe like it even, there's a fair, there's a certain quietness and stillness to the way the movie opens, especially for the if you know what is to come, like the, because right. it does unfold into this grand epic about greed and uh, capitalism versus God and man versus family and whatnot, and um, you know, especially the second time you're watching it or the third or the fourth or whatever. It's it's so interesting to know what is to come and then still have that opening that's so quiet and um, yeah that's just um, very fascinating. You learn you learn a surprising amount about the character I think too in that opening. Mm -hmm. I was thinking this time about the way he there, there's he's digging this hole he's down in this pit it's it's kind of this monumental task that he's undertaking alone which kind of sets mm -hmm. this groundwork for maybe some of how the character develops the way daniel plainview feels later in his life you can kind of, you can ground it in this moment where he you can see how maybe he feels like i did this work you know i found this stuff and then i built this all everything I have now with my raw bare hands like down you know literally digging it out of the dirt I think that doesn't really that do, uh, obviously I don't think that justifies his later attitude but I think it's a mm -hmm. depicting sort of the sheer difficulty of what he was undertaking on his own at the beginning kind of maybe helps us understand some of the mentality that the character has later on um but also there's little details in there this he he drops some dynamite he exposes this oil and he gets these little chunks of rock and there's an accident and he breaks his leg mm -hmm. and there's this moment during this sequence where he like gets up off the ground he's like oh i'm alive he kind of groans and then immediately reaches for a rock that's laying beside him and kind of like checks it to see what's there and his meanwhile his leg is like you know snapped in half and then it cuts directly from that to like this place where they're a saying they're kind of evaluating how much gold and silver content is in the rock and he's laying there on the ground with a, his leg in a splint while there's mm -hmm. while they're like giving him the results and it immediately sets up this this character who his own well his own physical well-being is is second to his goal mm -hmm. of you know find finding and achieving gold and success and this kind of ambition he has to succeed uh yeah. so i just i love the way that 
that all the groundwork for that is all laid out completely without any exposition we just see this Mm -hmm. character who has this determination and this absolute ambition at the cost of essentially everything else um so yeah i think that that sequence is really lays the groundwork for the rest of the film in in a really strong way yeah and it's interesting that it also gives him this sort of heroic claim to whatever he's about to embark on like you feel in that moment as an audience member i know at least for me like you feel like whatever he's about to achieve like he's earned it because he did this all on his own you know he was down there got injured got himself up looks like he dragged himself like all the way across the mountains yeah um because that's actually you have the opening shot with this sort of the shining like musical stinger and then it cuts to um daniel in the pit but then later when he climbs out with the broken leg and the camera i think it sort of pans up and there's the same shot of the mountains i'm not sure if there was a sort of uh because the first one the first shot already establishes a sort of foreboding and then right i th- i think that kind of pays off when you realize oh that's the mountains he's gonna have to drag himself over to safety <laughs> or uh to ensure he's not gonna die in yeah. the in the desert over there um but yeah and i think that's something that especially also because of the length of the sequence that's something that does stick in the in your mind as you see everything else unfold that you know beneath all the business talk that comes later and all the 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 empire building there's still a man there or some in there who is uh who had his both of his legs on the ground so to say you know who was who was willing and is still willing to put his hands in the dirt and to do the work himself and um I don't think that necessarily makes it a heroic story. I don't think that's what the movie is doing. But at the same time, um, if you kind of assume this movie as a not so subtle metaphor for the rise of capitalism right, <laughs> and the way it completely steamrolled over maybe religion and other uh, older forms of giving life meaning... Um, I, I do get the sensation that there is a subtle hint of like sympathy maybe of on Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, side about the sort of the origins of capitalism that at, that he does acknowledge or recognize that it did begin with these uh, men like Daniel who wanted more and were willing to do whatever it takes to get it. And um, even though he later explores uh how this whole um path kind of led him astray and uh, eventually led to his own sort of unhappiness and uh, i'm not sure i was going to say ruin but i'm not sure he's actually ruined at the end of the movie you know not materially at least Uh, we could maybe we could say spiritual yeah 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 Did you know there's a whole cinema of meaning bonus catalog with exclusive episodes of movies like fight club babylon Avatar The Way of Water, Drive, and many, many more. It's just one of the many perks you get on our creator-owned streaming service Nebula. On Nebula you can follow all your favorite creators and watch their work completely ad and sponsor-free. 
from podcasts to video essays and even a wide variety of educational classes, including one from yours truly that dives deep into story analysis and into the way stories function as vehicles for meaning. There's no shortage of amazing stuff here, a lot of which you cannot find anywhere else. It's a platform that really invests in its creators. Cinema of Meaning certainly wouldn't exist without it, which is why joining Nebula is also a great way to support our work. Be sure to use our personal link, that's nebula.tv slash cinemaofmeaning, to get a special discount. Again, that's nebula.tv slash cinemaofmeaning to get started with Nebula today. Thank you to Nebula for sponsoring Cinema of Meaning. Now, back to the show. I think you're totally right, though. It's, well, kind of like I was saying, I think PTA and how he's depicting this is he's... <laughs> I don't, this is a pretty unsympathetic character, so there's not really any moment where I feel that much sympathy for for Daniel Mm. Plainview, but I think he does depict Daniel Plainview, especially, especially with this performance, I think he allows us to to some extent understand the character, which to me is really important, where I... I feel like I can see why he is the way he is or why he becomes the way he is. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and some of that is this like feeling of entitlement that does come from not necessarily out of thin air, but from this sort of meant this starting point of, yeah, I dug a hole in the ground and oil came out of it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I did that work. Um, and yeah. but it just kind of expands from there. The other thing that is set up in this opening that ends up being a key element of the film and theme is this is we see him getting his son uh or oh, yeah. HW is the son of one of the workers that he has at this first well. We don't really know anything about the situation. We just see a guy with a baby that's just kind of hanging around camp. They anoint him with oil uh, from the ground. Um, and then the father gets killed in an accident. And Daniel Plainview just, I guess, assumes that now HW is is his responsibility. Um, we see him kind of caring for the baby and then on a train with HW giving him pouring some alcohol in his bottle and feeding it to him. And then that's our transition point to cut into our first kind of jump into the future Mm -hmm. uh, where we then see HW as a older boy and Daniel Plainview a bit more successful. And he's kind of giving a speech and pitching why this town these townspeople should accept him as kind of the oil man to come and drill their land for oil. Uh, And this first speech that he gives, I think is also kind of a key uh, element in kind of setting the stage for this character initially, because there's a lot of these moments, but this is the first big one where we start to get, I start to get a sense pretty early on that like, half of what is coming out of his mouth is just pure Mm -hmm. lies because he's immediately talking about 
in this first speech, I think it is, he immediately starts talking about how he doesn't make mistakes. He, he, you know, bad things don't happen when he drills. Like he, he presents himself as this consummate professional oil man who, you know, nothing goes wrong when he, and it's like, we just watched 15 minutes of him, like falling down holes <laughs> and dropping stuff on people's heads and killing them. And it's just like the, the, um, we immediately see this contrast between the reality of what happens when he's working and also how he's trying to present himself to other people. Uh, and I think that's another like interesting thing that's set up here initially, but then we see that kind of play out repeatedly throughout the film. Mm -hmm. And he also presents himself as a family man there, which yes, is also right. <laughs> makes you question like, did he just assume HW uh, as truly out of like the sympathy of his heart and because he longs for fatherhood or at least um, thinks that this child is deserving of a father or did he as he uh, jumping ahead uh, to the end a little bit but uh, as he proclaims at the end like did he just need a cute little boy's face to help himself right. uh, himself as a family man to these um, villagers or uh local citizens or whatever um i want to ask you about this maybe mm -hmm. this is jumping too far ahead but yeah um what do you think is is the case there because the more i watch this character the more i feel like what he says at the end there where he's like i basically i never loved you i was just using you to me it seems like is clearly a lie like i think he did actually mm -hmm. to some extent obviously he's flawed he's abusive he does these he's these horrible things throughout the film but i think to some extent he did actually feel this love for hw and that's part of the kind of tragedy of this character is his inability to actually like yeah um engage with that i don't know i was curious what you felt about about um, that part of his character yeah i also feel like at the end there he's um that's when his son is grown up and he wants to become his yeah. own businessman and daniel seems hurt by that because now he has to see him as a competitor instead of as a partner and so it does feel like he just um lashes out in spite there um but yeah I, i've thought about that and you have this concept in this very basic concept in script writing where you have when you have like a, a main character, you establish like uh, a want or at least something that the character thinks that they want. Yeah. And you have a need, which is the thing that they actually need, but that they don't know because at first, like they're driven by what they desire. And then at the end, they instead find what they need. And um, this movie does not play by those conventions <laughs> at least not explicitly but i do feel like if you can read between the lines a little bit or sort of look at the subtext there is you know it's it's, it's a little bit of speculation there but i feel like there is something to be said about daniel believing that he needs uh, or you know his want is believing that he needs all this money that he yeah uh, essentially needs to build this empire so that he can get away from people and you know, he sees the worst in people and everyone uh, seems to prove him right. But, uh, you know, at, at every 
hint of a flaw in another person, he's also the first like to cut them out or to push them out. Um, so, you know, whenever he talks about seeing the worst in people, he's also the, the, the first one to sort of affirm that whenever he sees like a tiny flaw, he's, he blows it up and then writes that person off completely. Um, so I feel like maybe in that sense, his real need is actually more like, um, a desire for true connection or a desire for family at least, or, um, which he finds in HW initially, but he also is, you know, he has this internal struggle where he might want to be like truly a father or have a, uh, a son. But at the same time, he also has that ambition. He has that competition. He has that drive to um, make things work out in the way that he sees it. He wants to shape the world in his image. Yeah. And so I feel like the um, the son, the father-son relation between him and H.W. is going well until uh, the accident where H.W. Uh, uh, loses his hearing, which kind of breaks... Uh, from there on breaks the image that uh, Daniel had of what their relation was going to look like and what he as a son would, was going to look like. Yeah. And so I feel like that's like his tragedy. He just, he can't help but see the world for what it is or accept the world for what it is. He has to make it his own or just push himself away from it. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that, to me at least, is what I think defines his tragedy the most, that he just ends up pushing away everything or everyone who could have given him a meaningful or who he could have had a meaningful relation with, just because he just cannot... Uh, there's this other part in him that just cannot accept that there's that he doesn't have control over these other people or just right. over the world in general. Yeah. Um and I feel like that's also what leads to him wanting to um, seclude himself or isolate himself from everyone else. I think he says that explicitly, right? That he just wants to earn enough money so that he can move away from people. And yeah. um, I think that there's a sort of second threat in that development where uh, after he sends his son, son away, he meets this supposed lost brother of his. Yeah. Um, who he bonds with sort of seemingly genuinely for a little bit until there's like cracks that start to form in his story and he finds out that or he begins to suspect that he's not actually his brother and then he confronts him and it turns out that he was in fact an imposter. And so um, even though the this imposter, you know, he tries to plead like I'm still your friend and I, I did meet your real brother. That's how I got the story. But you know, to Daniel, that's like, you know, one tiny crack, you know, and and you're done for. Like, the, the relation yeah. is broken and um, there's no way it can be healed. Not saying that yeah. he should have. Like, he did, the other guy did pull off a pretty dirty trick. On <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still, um, it does say a lot about Daniel's yeah. character, I think, in the, in the way that he handles it. He shoots right. him in the face, so that's right. pretty, pretty yeah. drastic. Yeah, yeah, he responds pretty drastically. I think, mm-hmm. like, those rejections kind of reveal this maybe 
need or desire that he doesn't even understand for this kind of human connection and family. Uh, you know, he he kind of desperately wants people around him that he, he thinks the way he sees it is like, I, I just want some people I can trust. Uh, and he doesn't really see that kind of, you know, it's that is kind of a problem of his own creation to a certain degree and like mm -hmm. you know people are flawed and so you can't you can't just write somebody off entirely because they did one little thing and then now you can't ever trust them again um so he like he sees family he's kind of like oh family are the people i can trust and everybody else is a competitor and they're out to get me they're out to slit my throat and that you know there's stuff in there about that being the way he treats other people um th there's also i think something in there not just about the way he's responding to people but the way success kind of can create or you know capitalistic success can kind of create this incentive where or this situation where it can feel difficult to trust people because, you know, mm -hmm. why does Henry show up and pretend to be his brother? Because he is wealthy and has a lot of money. He, you know, Henry's not just yeah. trying to be his friend for fun. Um, although it does seem like they genuinely connect. It's like he also has some kind of legitimate, there's at least some basis there for distrusting most people because most people are trying to use him or use his money and yeah, success yeah. to get somewhere. Um, and Capitalism sort of renders everything transactional. And so any, um, any motivation that does not seem where the transaction is not clear then becomes uh, suspect. Right. right. Yeah. And that's the real turning point at the end with HW is HW is like, I'm going to go start my own company. I'm going to do my own drilling. And Daniel is basically like, that destroys my image of you that uh th that makes you my competitor and now you've mm -hmm. become something else and that's when he denounces him as being family um and so i don't know there's some there's some interesting thing there where in his mind family and competition mm -hmm. can't coexist um and he yeah. has and he also has no real family so he's he's kind of lost in this space of like the thing he desperately needs on a deepest level he can't he can't access um mm -hmm. partially because of who he is as a person but also partially just because of the kind of the environment that yeah. he exists in and the 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 details of his life we don't know much about like why he left home uh we get a few details from the henry the brother impersonator but it's you know obviously he chose to leave for some reason yeah. Instead of staying with the family that he had. Yeah, I was going to say we don't learn a lot about Daniel's backstory. I think he had a sister. Um, um, but other than that, yeah, there's this other moment where he does seem sort of protective of the uh, little girl that ultimately ends up marrying H.W., oh, where yeah. she was, uh, I think, had an abusive father that he does seem to take sort of personally without him standing to gain anything from it 
capitalistically, so to say. Right, right. Um, so it, that did have me thinking, oh, maybe there's something there about maybe he did feel he had an abusive father or, or maybe he did have an abusive father or uh, came from some form of family where at least, you know, something did had to be not right in the environment that he came from that yeah. gave him not just the distrust, but maybe also the drive to really build something from for himself where he did not have to rely on anything, uh, you know, not necessarily family, but also not community or, uh, you know, not even uh, God, because I think that's the next um, interesting conflict here is that um, the conflict that he has with Eli, who played by... Uh, Paul Dano, Paul Dan- Paul Dano <clears throat> yeah, um, who is this local uh, town pastor minister? Um, I'm not sure what the yeah, correct preacher title is. There. Preacher, yeah. yeah. That also ends up being this very contentious relation over the course of the movie that ultimately ends in uh, Daniel murdering Paul in or not Paul. Um, Eli in his uh, bowling alley in uh, his great yeah. big mansion at the end. Eli has a twin brother named Paul, which I got confused with for a second. Right. The, the, the titular blood seems to be eventually uh, Eli's blood at the end, I guess. Um, what did you think of that whole relation? So this is the other big... We, we kind of broke down the family aspect of the mm-hmm. narrative. Um, and then I think the other big central conflict you mentioned at the beginning is is this one sort of the conflict between these two characters which is also you know we can kind of look at as like a a metaphor about capitalism versus religion or the way in which sort of you know i think this is a very like postmodern film in the sense that it's about this narrative of oh capitalism arose and is kind of just trampling over everything the tradition mm-hmm. of history of religion um it 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 kind of cons- it's consuming uh religion here and eventually kind of this character ends up being uh capitalistic in his own or like he, eventually Eli's ambitions are revealed to be financial as well essentially mm-hmm. um i think kind of towards the end uh but but yeah this this rivalry slash weird partnership kind of starts with daniel showing up on this f- ranch that ends up mm-hmm. being kind of the center of a lot of the story yeah uh, his which first... he was dipped off by by paul by paul brother of which i think becomes a little bit important at the end, so I do want to mention yeah, it yeah. here. Paul shows up, tips him off to this ranch, says, hey, there's oil there. If you pay me, I'll tell you where it is. Uh, he pays him, or Daniel pays him, shows up at this ranch, doesn't talk about the oil, tries to buy it. He kind of surveys the land, finds the oil, and tries to buy it for, as he says, quail prices, not oil prices. Um but Eli, the brother of Paul, is is there with the family, and he's he 
understands that the oil is valuable on some level. And so the kind of the deal he makes is, oh, if you're successful, make a donation of $5,000 to my church, which, mm-hmm. uh, which Daniel kind of agrees to, but we learn he never, he never fulfills. But as this oil mining town is built up around this new well that, that Daniel digs, ends up digging in this area, uh, Eli kind of sees this as an opportunity to build his congregation. And so he builds a new church. He has a deal. He strikes a deal with Daniel that the, the new road they put in will lead to the church. Um, and we kind of see these two things develop uh, together. But Daniel, for whatever reason, um, sees, the, sees this character as a kind of competition um there mm, yeah there's a weird there's a weird relationship there one of the early signs of it is the church has been built and um and Eli comes to Daniel and he's like hey when you are starting up the well i can give it a blessing and you can, you know you get me to come up and i'll bless the well and this is great for both of us and I think Daniel kind of sees that as like Eli trying to use him kind of for his mm-hmm. own success. And so Daniel very blatantly kind of snuffs uh, Eli, snubs Eli and um, and do- kind of gives the blessing himself. Uh, and th- so there's this ongoing, that competition never really ends. It, 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 it kind of continues between them um yeah, yeah so i don't i don't know how exactly to summarize this arc except that um i think the general idea here that the movie seems to be getting at is how these two things how religion and you know capitalistic ambition can become kind of intertwined in a way um where you know daniel seems to daniel is only willing to engage with religion when it meets to further his goals and eli sees all all this like capitalistic success as a route to achieve his goal of you know building this huge church Mm -hmm. and um you know kind of becoming his spiritual ambition i guess yeah yeah. we could say yeah i agree but at the same time i don't i'm not sure if i really experienced their relation as a true competition where there's like two equal forces striving for dominance to me it feels more like um eli being this tiny character that maybe at the beginning is sort of equal to daniel but then so quickly Daniel grows into this giant that just stomps him into the ground and then once Eli comes begging at the end he just finishes him off and I feel like it's more it's it's almost like a from the beginning just a slow very slow murder that just gets completed by the end of it <laughs> yeah even literally says you know Daniel says I, I'm finished uh, at the end or I finished right. um, um but yeah I think the thing that Daniel sees when he sees Eli is just um, 
I think he just sees a like a swindler, someone who's also selling fairy tales and right. false false miracles and promises of beautiful things that won't ever come to fruition. And um, I'm not sure to what extent that's he just he recognizes some of himself in that, or that he just despises the hip, maybe you know I'm not sure if hypocrisy is the right word of it, but he just you know, he, he sees Eli and he feels that he's sort of two-faced, that he promises all these beautiful things, whereas deep down he knows he's not uh, he's not really giving that to these people. And that's maybe him projecting his own um, attitude onto Eli, who might be truly convinced that he's doing what he's doing. Right. Uh, whereas Daniel might be, you know, he, he gives all these beautiful speeches, but he knows he's in it for his own gain. He's in it for his own money. I think... I think I I just want to throw something out there real quick on this point because mm-hmm. I I don't I didn't really notice this until this watch of the film, but there seems to be something that I think Eli has that I do think Daniel wants and doesn't have, which is Daniel gives all these we see Daniel several times giving these speeches, uh you know to the different townspeople when he gives the blessing he kind of has these moments where he's up in front of the people and he's giving this speech of like i'm bringing you all these good things i'm bringing you know success and bread to your town etc etc and the way people respond to that is never with warmth with uh with love you know in the first scene they just start arguing loudly and he walks Mm -hmm. out um there's there's times where they're just kind of there's kind of like blank looks on their faces um at the end of his blessing, he, you know, it just kind of ends and then the people slowly meander away and he walks up to the well. There's this, um, there's, he is not able to sort of connect charismatically with the, the sort of the congregation, quote unquote, that he's yeah, yeah. speaking to. But that's in direct contrast to, you know, the first time he goes to the church and he sees Eli giving this big, emotional performance and people are cheering and responding to it um and then there's another scene where nothing else is really going on but we just see daniel kind of sitting there and he's just watching eli uh like mm-hmm. and the the people from the town are sort of like hugging him and talking to him and caring for him they they obviously have this kind of love for eli as the pastor and i think there's Daniel kind of sees that as something that he does not have that um, that Eli is able to get for some reason. Mm. Um, so you know it's subtle, but I think there's there's like a disc there's yeah. there is something that you know I don't I don't know if Daniel ultimately needs that because he can just bulldoze through everything with money and whatever, but. Um, but there is sort of like a a charisma to mm-hmm. how people respond to to Eli that Daniel Daniel doesn't yeah. have. So I don't know if that's part of maybe his his envy or 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 despite dis, how why he despises Eli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's an interesting bit of his psychology because it on the one hand it does feel like Daniel genuinely does not want to be in community like he doesn't want to have to deal with all these people he i think he he, he, as 
as he said in the beginning, like he just wants the money and get out, which is what he yeah. kind of does at the end. But at the same time, he also feels like uh, Eli should not deserve it because he feels like he's a phony. And um, I'm not sure. I, I th it might just be a sort of general discontent with the world and the way it functions and that even though he doesn't want anything to do with it he still doesn't he still hates it and still kind of wants to yeah throw a wrench in it and expose it for what it is uh if he had the chance and which he gets at the end when um eli comes begging for money um which is a very unwise thing to do to a true <laughs> right. capitalist yes, because yeah. <laughs> i feel like you know the whole point of like that sort of capitalism is you it's all about either having power or like posturing power if you show right. weakness it you know the moment you come begging for mercy then you're gonna be trampled on because that's that's when you show your weakness and that's when you know under capitalist law you're you're you're, you're almost it's it's right for others to sort of uh, exploit you you're destined to become like this victim yeah and that's that's also when he reveals that he's Eli comes with his, his sort of power play is that there's this little bit of land that he that Daniel failed to buy at the beginning and so he's now coming to offer it and then Daniel reveals like you, you know I he says like I had have everything around it I've been drilling like I've been draining it from all sides underneath there's nothing there anymore and I yeah. don't need that land and so he kind of takes away that final uh, trump card that Eli has and that's um literally when it's over for him um but i do think that paul comes back there in an interesting way because that's when um daniel mentions that paul took that early uh sort of payoff money or that inf information money and he started his own business that is like modestly um prosperous he's making five thousand dollars a week with three different oil uh wells i think it was i'm not sure how much that is relatively to today but it seems like he's become wealthy but not maybe like extravagantly wealthy as um daniel is but i'm kind of wondering if there's a hint there if there's if there exists a sort of synergy between on the one hand eli's um character and on the other hand the more capitalist qualities that daniel has that um paul thomas anderson sort of wanted to maybe wink at you know he doesn't really expand on that beyond these yeah. two lines in which he mentions paul but it is interesting that there's a twin brother who now kind of exists in the middle of them who sort of has these qualities who's incorporated qualities of both of those characters you know he has the literal genetics of eli while also having the business savviness of um uh daniel but yeah there's um everything else on that subject would probably be speculation because um we don't learn a lot more about it yeah 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 it's it's a tough one to tease out and this is where paul thomas anderson's sort of style of storytelling becomes i think kind of difficult to discuss because you get the same thing in like the master of what exactly he's getting at here is is really kind of more poetic and intuitive 
than it is like a clear statement about the themes mm-hmm. that he's laying out. You know, it's the, the, what I see in this movie is not like Paul PTA saying, Oh, you know, capitalism has destroyed the church or mm-hmm. the church just uses capitalism for its own, um, you know, thing or this or that it's that that's all kind of maybe in there, but it's also just about the weird relationship between those things and what that feels like. And also just these characters and, um, you know, he's drawing parallels and there's this rhyming to it, but, uh, it's not the style of story that, you know, comes to this nice concise conclusion where, you know, we can, we can walk away going, ah, yes, a picture of, of how, you know, capitalism beat religion forever and now it gets game over. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's something more almost weirder and more complicated than that, yeah. I think, in in what it's depicting. Um, it did strike me, though, too, just like I think what it depicts in a certain way is something very accurate, not to, not to throw out too many buzzwords that will <laughs> make uh make the podcast controversial but uh the um this character this time around uh especially in how he relates to religion struck me as a very like trumpian character because he's um you know the way donald trump like relates to christianity is very like oh yes yes of course i you know blah 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 but then like people ask him if he has a favorite Bible verse and he just makes something up or like, does, you know, <laughs> he, does, he, he clearly has no actual knowledge of like most of Christianity, but he, he doesn't reject it either. He, he like vocally is very embracing of it. Um, you know, uh, I would argue because he sees that as something that furthers his ambitions. And that's exactly what like, Daniel does in um in this movie which is like you know he's just kind of like oh I don't I don't reject the church I'm not like rejecting this outright necessarily uh mm-hmm. I'm just going to like kind of uh, it's <laughs> uh, yeah 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 oh sure you know I'm going to use this to the extent to which it is um it helps me achieve my ambitions um, or or how he thinks it is going to, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's played played out most blatantly in that big scene where he goes to the church and goes through this whole like repent repentant ritual, um, just so that he can build his pipeline to the you know to the ocean or whatever. Um, so I yeah. think there's like that the way the way Daniel's relationship to religion is depicted is like emblematic of something that I think like is a, is a way that it, we see it reflected in reality, um, at least with certain mm-hmm. people or certain, certain characters at certain times. Yeah. I, I, I do feel like even though it's the subtext of capitalism and the all consuming growth of it is so on the nose almost, I wouldn't, that's not to say that it's not, or that's not to say it's simplistic. It's not without yeah. these deeper layers and deeper implications that um, still make to me it makes it still to me it still makes it worth to 
uh, talk about it and not skip over it as, oh yeah, obviously it's about capitalism, because I do think it's uh, still quite nuanced in the way it depicts just how uh, capitalism has grown and what the real implications are um, and the way it affected, like, as you said, the church, but also the family um, in the way that it's, um, at least when it comes to the church, it's made these, it's to some extent made the church, at least in the, in this case, it, it seemed like it made the church sort of submissive and almost subservient to the workings of capitalism, because at the end of the day, a church also needs money to survive. And now in a more capitalist society, that means it, um, where maybe the church can no longer rely on like the state, because, you know, there's now also separation of church and state in many Western countries. Um, so that now also means that the church has to commercialize itself to some extent and um, even if you look at like a level beyond just the church as an institution, you know, there's the individual preachers that now also have to wrestle with the devil of capitalism as, um, Eli has also failed to do at the end, or he claims he's been consumed by the, the devil and been, been sinful. Yeah. And, um, I think that's also something that's clearly happening. Uh, at least in America, you know, you have these really ridiculously wealthy preachers who <laughs> I'm not even sure like what exact movement or like uh, part of Christianity that is. I think it's a very, it's like a specific uh, subset of Christianity that... It's not all like, it's not centralized under one, mm. necessarily one um, sort of institution but it's there's various like denominational and non-denominational evangelical churches where you know one particular pastor or one particular group has become you know incredibly successful usually via some kind of like tele evangelism yeah, yeah. you know you have you have like joel osteen type characters but then also um kenneth copeland is another one where he's flying around mm. everywhere on private jets and uh, yeah, and talking about how the reason he can't, he has to fly on a, a private jet and not on a regular jet is because you know a, a regular airplane is a tube full of demons. Uh, <laughs> it's his words exactly. Yeah. So yeah, the, the, they're not all necessarily associated, but 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 the, you know they if exist. you look at like they exist and their success is this sort of like kind of weird you know version of. Uh, you know, they've built their singular church into like a brand and then a company and then this kind of they fill out stadiums with people. And um, there's this very like capitalistic ambition to the way they, you know, they run their their churches, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's at least in part made possible by capitalism in as Daniel does in the movie. Right. Sort of first co-opting the language of religion to sell the people on his uh, brand of uh, success or wealth or transcendence or whatever um, whatever he, he was preaching to them. Um, and so that's, I think, the, the interesting uh, capitalism on church effect that the movie demonstrates. But at the same time, that's the part of on the family where it kind of, I feel like that part more 
dives more deeply into the uh, what I talked about earlier with where relations are turned into transactional or at least primarily okay. transactional where uh, which sort of erodes the potential for personal connections when there's uh, when when the value you can offer to someone else or assume or take from someone else becomes the primary uh, drive for interaction and not just um, more no reasons unrelated to that not right, because right. you like someone else or want to spend time with them or because we long for companionship or whatever and I feel like that's you know that's for me at least what's most interesting about the whole family um, sub story here is that sort of that's what to me most clearly shows the way capitalism has eroded to some extent um, the way we deal with each other and the way we uh, interact with each other yeah yeah there's also maybe you can sort of include the way workers are treated into this where they also just become uh accidents instead of human lives that are at stake and are lost sometimes um uh there's that one accident where early on someone is killed i think quite shortly after they set up that first well in the in the town yeah. You know, someone gets hit in the head and they sort of drag him out and it, it doesn't feel like, it just feels like they're uh, taking out some broken equipment instead of really being worried about the actual person that was involved there. And Daniel um, kind of dumps the responsibility for taking care of that guy off on Eli. Like he's like, oh, can you make sure his stuff gets to his family? Maybe you can like you know, give him last rights or something like that. You know, there's this kind of like uh, abdication of responsibility for that death and just kind of passing that off on onto uh, Eli. Yeah. So, yeah, that to me, I think is yeah. the most, uh, in sort of in, in, in summary, in conclusion, the, um, the, the capitalism metaphor and how it um, does it, isn't just like a movie about capitalism, but also one that really shows in quite like in, in not unsignificant detail how and why and where exactly capitalism has had uh, its effects on our society and on ourselves. And um, yeah, I don't think it's the movie's main thing, but it is, I think, um, what for me elevates this movie to uh, from being more than just one person's story to really being more a um, more of this a classical archetype of something that really reveals something uh, meaningful about the way our world as we know it today um, came into being from a variety of uh, different perspectives. Yeah. One one more thing I want to say that kind of connects those two themes that I saw this time mm -hmm. around was um, how I there's this moment H.W. he loses his hearing in this accident. That scene is incredible. The this oil derrick explodes into yeah. flames, um, and and Daniel Plainview is at first concerned about. Uh, HW and he kind of rescues him and then dumps him where he's safe for the time being but then there's this moment where he's like everything's burning his his son was just like you know 
injured in this thing and he's like giddy because <laughs> because he's struck you know this huge ocean of oil um is just such a reflection of you know the earlier moment where he's like worried about whether or not he found gold when he just broke his mm-hmm. leg uh but that's not that's not the point i wanted to make uh, so he loses his hearing all that happens and then some of his competitors i forget the name of the company but one of his competitors a group of them come to him and they're like hey let's buy you out you can spend time with your son you you know we'll give you all this money you can just focus on what's important to you which is family and that to me i think I don't want to speculate too much. We don't know what's going on in the mind of the character. He might have abandoned HW anyway, but I think that moment is is a big part of what drives him to separate himself from uh, HW because he now he sees sort of his love for HW and desire to care for HW as a weakness that is being oh, exploited yeah. by his competitors to try to get him to set aside this success and ambition that he wants and so um so he he has to like he has to make a clean break because in his mind it's like i can't i can't have this i can't have this thing around that might lead to me making decisions that would make me less successful um and then you know I, I don't know. There's there's just an interesting relationship between that. Mm-hmm. And then he makes that big show later where he's like, look, I can be with my boy uh, mm-hmm. to them and, and loses his, throws a temper tantrum in the yeah, that's a good one. Um, saloon or I whatever. Of that. There's also one other affirmation of that, I think, that comes back at the very end where uh, we have the time jump and then there's this like two clips of like a flashback to where uh, I think it's after HW tells his father to, that he's leaving him to go to Mexico. And yeah. then the, I think that's when the, uh, there's a little bit of an insert with these two scenes where um, Daniel's just playing with his young son, but then also he's immediately shown being called off for work um, while HW uh, clearly wants more time with him, which also, again, right. affirms that sort of, I maybe want this, but at the same time, like my other drive or my other desire is pushing me that way and um yeah that's uh i think what's ultimately also so uh tragic about him yeah hmm. i wanted to say one thing about kind of the relationship between daniel and the church is there is this interesting dynamic in that where in that scene where he goes to the church and he repents the there's you know the the movie's kind of critiquing the church in a lot of ways i think and showing kind of its corruption but there's also this moment where there's something in that scene like he goes in and and he kind of it feels like he kind of has this attitude of like okay i'm just going to get this over with i'm going to you know repent of my sins blah 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 and then i'll get what i want which is the pipeline but he gets up there and he kneels down and uh, Daniel starts hitting the, him with the I've abandoned you've abandoned your child and you can kind of see especially in the way it's performed I think <laughs> there's this like you can tell that is the knife that's just like that one stabs straight into him and mm-hmm. it really it's there's this weird um, there's this weird sense in which 
it does seem like he almost gets some kind of um like that does genuinely impact him in some way there is almost some kind of catharsis that he gets from that um from that kind of repentance of this thing that i think he genuinely like feels bad mm-hmm. about and that's another moment that kind of makes me feel yeah. like ultimately maybe he does like love hw and feel bad about that situation um he just ultimately chooses to reject that and that's what that's why he's you know just like blackout drunk at the end uh you know is because after he tells his son to leave it's because it's like destroying him inside any authenticity or goodness that he had in himself which was like this love for this boy this genuine love for this boy he you know he rejects yeah and it's like he just can't he can't live with it anymore Um, just the empty wealth left yes Hmm. yeah Thank you all for listening to Cinema of Meaning. If you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going, be sure to follow us on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula. On Nebula, you can experience our podcast ad-free, listen to all of our episodes a week early, and get instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. Last month, we talked about the amazing Netflix show Beef, but before that, we've also covered Fight Club, Babylon, Avatar The Way of Water, The New All Quiet on the Western Front, Drive, and many, many more. So you're really getting a whole new catalogue of episodes. You can sign up directly at our Nebula page, that's nebula.tv slash cinemaofmeaning, or just follow the link in the description. Alternatively, you can also support us on Patreon, where you'll find the Cinema of Meaning Discord community, where you can discuss movies with us and with hello listeners. And the catalogue of bonus episodes is also available there. The link for that is also in the description. Thank you for listening to Cinema of Meaning. Until next time.